0: This year is the Sydney Maya Creative Fellowship Program's 10th anniversary. Over those 10 years, you've seen $16 million awarded to 100 fellows. The creative fellows are awarded $160,000 over 2 years. And amazingly, the money isn't tied to any specific outcome. This means fellowship winners can do whatever they want with the cash. It's something the chair of the Sydney Meyer Fund, Andrew Meyer, says is working. There are so many programs that are dedicated to justifications. Uh, when we created these awards, we determined that it would be better to have allow artists to make choices about their own work and their own lives uh, as grown-ups. You might remember that last year, four of the nine fellowship recipients were blackfellas. This year, there's five. Andrew had some thoughts on why this might be the case. What strikes you about artists in general and uh, often Indigenous uh, practitioners is that they are utterly dedicated to their work and often are uh, not recognised for the outstanding uh, outputs that they you know they make to the community. And I think in the last 30 years, there's been more and more recognitions of the absolutely extraordinary calibre of Indigenous artists in all art forms, and, and rightly so. Meanwhile, Dr Alethea Beetson, who won a Creative Fellowship for Cultural Leadership, has her own take.
1: You know, mother, excellent, and we make the best art on this continent.
0: As well as Alethea, the black excellence of Fred Leone, Carly Shepard, Genoa Gila, and Vincent Namajira was celebrated. You'll hear more from Alethea and Bachelor Songman Fred Leone a little later. But first, let's hear from Vincent Namajira. A subversive portraitist, Vincent is the great-grandson of Albert Namajira. You might have seen his incredible mural of portraits in the foyer of the Museum of Contemporary Art in Sydney, or his Archibald Prize-winning self-portrait from 2020. As an artist from the remote community of Indulkana in northwest South Australia, Vincent strongly believes that remote living shouldn't be a barrier to success. Speaking with the Ways Jerome Commissari, he explains how the fellowship is allowing him to expand his horizons.
2: The way I see the Sydney Maya thing is, it's just a good outcome for my career, really, and it's just a. Uh, It's a good way to make my career more stretchable and expand my horizons a bit. Like future projects and also future future commitments with uh, other artists and do more residencies. Also for exhibitions and travelling and seeing other artists, international exhibitions, and also, like, I just want to say that, with this thing, it takes me further and it opens up new doors and also it's important for me to, like, with this thing that I can push further and see other things and also be places and meet new faces and all this kind of thing. My career is rocketing at the moment so far.
3: <laughs> That's great. What do you want to do next?
2: Next year I'm working on a big project, which is in the art center here and that's going to take me to 2023 and i would like to put an exhibition up and i might do another uh, lumina project as well uh, lumina is a lighting show a lighting exhibition i like to do painting and then my painting turn into something else and something big i like to do like this
1: so how does it
3: feel to be at the other side of the pandemic and have the, all these opportunities and all this money to go and do what you want?
2: To me, it's a, it's, a, it's a good chance and a good opportunity to be explosive, like bigger and better, that I can keep going, keep doing what I do, what I love doing and never back off, never back down. Also, I might add that I'm um, also for more mural projects, like big wall paintings and stuff like that. In the next two years, I'd like to do just more residency with, I'd like to put myself in other people's, other artists' studio and paint with them and work with them and more murals, more uh, illuminate projects and stuff like that. Also, for more obviously international exhibitions
0: painter Vincent Namajira speaking with AWAY's Jerome Commissari and a special thanks to Iwancha Art Centre for providing the space and means for us to speak with Vincent. I'm Rudy Bremer and you're listening to AWAY, Indigenous Art and Culture on RN. We've been talking about the Sydney Meyer Fellowship which sees nine recipients awarded $160,000 tax-free over two years. Among the recipients was my former classmate, Genoa Gila, who'll spend some of 2023 taking her one-woman show, My Uruguay, on an international tour. When Genoa got set to bring the show to Australian stages in 2018, she explained that Uruguay is a kalalagaya word, meaning the style or the spirit of you. For 13 years, Genoa has been working across a variety of industries dance, theatre, comedy, TV, and film, and I'm so pleased to see her Uruguay recognised in this way. Another multidisciplinary artist with an exceptional spirit is Dr Alethea Beetson.
1: My name is Alethea Beetson, I'm a cubby-cubby Amirudjuri artist and creative producer living on Turrbal Jagera and Yagara country.
0: And Alethea, this year you are one of nine recipients of the Sydney Meyer Creative Fellowship.
1: Yes, I am. I'm very fortunate to be in that list and in a list with a lot of mob who I really admire.
0: First off, congratulations. Thank you. What did you do when you found out the news?
1: It was a really interesting moment. So I was at Big Sound um delivering an event with my workplace this you know fun dreaming loud party presented by Spotify where we were celebrating black music and i think i'd had several phone calls from numbers that i did not recognize But they were like, all the artists were there and the band that I managed, Selv, had already had their phone call, like, where's your stuff? And so I remember just going, oh, that is just not important because everyone's here. And then (laughs) got a text message and was like, I was like, oh, okay, no, that might be very important. Um, So went and, yeah, had a lovely phone call with the Sydney Meyer representative.
0: Because you were in the midst of friends and colleagues, how did you celebrate once you knew that you had won? I
1: think it was just like my, I suppose, my the person who nominated me who was working with me, Lockie Little, he's my like colleague, friend, mentee. Um, I used to say little brother, but I think I've reverted to little sister now. I think I'm very annoying. <laughs> but I, I was kind of with him and, you know, because you could only really tell your nearest and dearest and, I was like, okay, I had to go find him. And I think he was, we actually call it like Spotify party intense these days because he was really intense that night. Like, just like, Getting his job done as a stage manager, I swear, I feel like I was like, "Are you like yelling at artists if they want to drink? Like, can you chill?" And so he was in this wildly intense place. So I had to, and I think we'd we'd been in mostly like really chill black spaces, and then this particular event, the music industry was there, so it can be overwhelming. And I think we were backstage ten minutes before the call came, being like, "Oh my god, the music industry is here! Oh god, this is too much!" And then jump shot to being in that exact spot, like jumping up and down in this little balcony that no one else was around in going, oh, my God, oh, my gosh, this has happened. And I think he was, yeah, if you've ever questioned um, Loki's loyalty um, and genuine love for me as um, a colleague and friend, I certainly couldn't after that because he was just wildly stoked that he got to play a role in this, which I'm forever grateful for.
0: Being a recipient of this fellowship, it's 160000 over two years. So what does having this money, like having this fellowship, allow that you might not have been able to do otherwise?
1: It's a really good question because it's one that I'm currently asking myself over and over. And because there's, you know, the obligations that I still have with Thoughts to continue leading that org, And and various other projects, but it's allowing me to probably think more critically about the work that I will accept, particularly into the future, and allowing me to have a strategic vision for Black Social, which is the company that I've now created over the past couple of years that is just generally working across Indigenous arts. And so that's probably what it's done is it's changed A lot of my responses to kind of being able to kind of pause and go, okay, well, how can I create black social so that it can become self-sustaining for community and potentially even then grow to the point where it can reinvest back in the ethical models that I know lots of mob are developing and continuing to develop.
0: I mean, it raises an interesting question about, particularly because you're in this position of someone who someone who's so grounded in an organisation of reinvesting into that versus reinvesting into yourself personally, was was there ever a point where you thought, well, this is just, this is for me. I could buy a house. I could go on a holiday.
1: <laughs> I know. You can. Yeah. <laughs> Which is valid. Yeah. It's valid, but I think it's, well, I, I definitely, you're like, oh gosh, what could I could Go to lots of islands, lots and lots of holidays. (laughs) Um, I did the work a long time ago. I remember working part time to see if that worked for me, and I just I am someone that likes busyness um, because I don't like to glorify it. I always like to point out that I did once try other things. Yeah, so I don't want to glorify it, but I did, you know, put that effort in. And I think I see, you know, Black Social for me is an investment into my arts practice. It's the company that I want to go to, like there's no one else making the kind of work that I'm interested in or doing the kind of black takeover spaces in this context anyway that I'm interested in. So I do see with investing in black social and whilst that is about creating a space for everyone, there's an investment um, within my creative practice as well through continuing to develop the Queen City Verse, which is the world of stories that have come out of Queen City, which premiered at Brisbane Festival, even though it's a funded project already outside of the fellowship, it'll probably launch part to the production side. We're doing black narrative music videos where we're working with a band called Selve to create some, you know, as much, like 100% black-led if we can um, in terms of the whole entire crew and resources, music videos to kind of show the music industry that this is where they could also be investing in bringing more Indigenous creatives into the space. And so from that... I'll be able to kind of, you know, it'll be cyclical. And so I do sort of see Black Social as an investment in myself and the future space that I want to make art in.
0: Due to COVID the last couple of years means that the arts sector has been really dire for a lot of people. How did it feel to come out the other side, not just to have managed to get through it, but then to receive 160K over two years to do whatever you want?
1: It was really overwhelming because I think I obviously found out in the tail end of probably one of the most hectic work periods I've ever had, which is this year. So this year everything got bottlenecked on top of one another because of COVID and things got moved around and so there was a lot of projects that were just compounding on one another. So there was, like, I could probably count on my both hands how many days off I've had this year because of the realities of the art sector. And you can feel it out there. You can see it in even some of the major spaces, that festivals, that the impact that this particular pandemic has had. And so, to, yeah, it came at a time where I think it was almost too overwhelming to um, process because it, it it was in the, I think I had three more weeks left of this really hectic period. And so now it's kind of really interesting that it's become public and it's something I can kind of process now because it feels feels like there's this like breath you can take that you haven't been able to take in a really long time. And it feels like you've been caught and that this gamble that you took to back yourself and to go into a shaky industry well before this particular pandemic hit has really become this milestone that you can launch and shape your career off and hopefully play your part in telling stories that can change the world. I mean, you've
0: you've talked about how you enjoy... Being somebody who is busy, you enjoy that sort of, um, I guess, like having having an outcome to the work that you've done. Given that this is a fellowship that's not directly tied to a particular project, it's not directly tied to an outcome. Do you think that it could have been beneficial to have it tied to something that you've got to produce? You know, you've got two years, you've got to. Stage of production, you've got whatever it is.
1: I think it's, I think that'll just happen. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, think I will project manage this like everyone else who's probably <laughs> received it ever before because that's what we do. What I hope that it allows for from an outcome perspective is the outcomes that often happen through creative development and exploration that you don't always receive the funding for. And that's where I think really fun innovation, reinvigoration can happen. Um, so I think it's up to myself to figure out what those outcomes are. Um, and I really like the self-accountability of it all.
0: So the last round of, of fellowship recipients, there was, of the nine, there was four black fellows. This year, there's five. Why do you think we're seeing more black creatives hitting these lists and being recognised beyond our community because these are people that we've known about for years.
1: Yeah, true. Gosh. I think the, well, I'm sure Fred will talk about how, um, you know, he was talking about... um the world slash this continent being more ready for the kind of messages, you know, his music makes. And I feel that for my own work. I'm like, okay, not always, you know, the audience is there, but I feel like we're on the cusp of being able to go, this is, you know, the world's ready to take on this art form, to hear these messages and to implement them. Um, But I also think when you're making art that is obviously deeply connected to your individuality, which is appropriate as Indigenous creatives, but also for your community, which is appropriate for Indigenous creatives. I do think you get to tap into a richness and a vibrancy and something that is much more timeless than perhaps some of the other arts methodologies and frameworks you could use. And I think that that is why are so deadly, <laughs> you know. Can't find a really humble way to say that. You um, shouldn't but, have to. You know, mob are excellent and we make some of if the best, we make the best art on this continent and we do that in combat of a colony that denies our existence and I think that the work that mob do across all facets of the art is incredible and I think the fact that we support each other and when one of us wins, all of us win, you know, creates that sense of community that is going to constantly propel us forward. Perhaps, you know, these kinds of fellowships where it's, you know, in this philanthropic world, there's definitely capacity and, you know, kudos to them for kind of giving that space and those resources kind of back, you know. I think fellowships like this can feel like, Almost a form of reparations, but I think that investment in the arts practice that is going to take us forward and that is going to heal us all and, quite frankly, probably save the planet. You're listening to Away, Indigenous Arts and Culture
0: on RN, and I'm Rudy Bremer. You just heard from Dr Alethea Beetson, one of five Indigenous recipients of this year's Sydney Meyer Fellowship. On the day Alethea learnt she'd been awarded the fellowship, she bumped into bachelor songman Fred Leone. Fred had also just won, but because the news wasn't public yet, neither of them knew this. Here's Fred.
3: Walking around keeping it to myself was um a little bit stressful, but at the same time surreal. Like I I couldn't, it didn't quite kick in till uh, about a week later.
0: Who was the person that you um, that you shared the news with or people?
3: Yeah, I told my, obviously my partner. I, I didn't want to talk to many people because I just, <laughs> just in case I did tell them. But, um, yeah, I just tried not to talk to many people and, um, yeah, I was able to keep it all under lock and key.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, Fred, you have been working... Well, like you've been involved in music and in dance your whole life, what does it mean to have to have that recognised through a fellowship like the Sydney Maya Fellowship?
3: You know, I'd have people say to me, like close people say to me, um, "Why do you why do you put so much effort into you know this stuff? Like, there's no money in it. What is your aim with this?" And I said, there were people in my life that planted seeds. Whether it was like camps or teaching me dances or songs, or just being there as um, older uncles and aunties, there was you know there was never any money, and it was more about. Um, and for me, I noticed in the last fifteen years, at least twenty years, I've had this sense of urgency around um, seeing just how quick. Um, you know the, the stories are disappearing even just stories that I heard from old people sitting around the table with my mum and all the old girls from all over the country that were taken to Cherbourg and hearing them all sitting around talking and about their connections to a different country and then in the space of being a young person up until in my mid-20s all those stories started slowly dying with those old people and now you know I look around when we're at rallies and stuff and We've got young fellas hanging off, not just myself, but people around my era, and saying, oh, hey, Unc, it's great to march with you. And I think, if they call me Unc, and I'm looking around, and I'm like, oh, actually, where's all the old people that we looked up to? They're all going and gone. There's so many of them, we lose them every day. And so there's this sense of urgency around keeping what we have in whatever level of... Um, Connectedness in any point throughout the country, it stays, it doesn't get any, you know, less connected than what it is.
0: Recognising the fact that we are losing our older generation of knowledge keepers. Yeah,
3: I, I always think about this one word, legacy, you know, mm. legacy. What's What's your legacy? What's our legacy on the next, that we're leaving to the next generation and every other generation after of um put together like over the years had a few dreams and put those dreams into songs and then then with a couple of other people from my mob put it into dances. And they you know, it's been about ten years now that those songs have been danced and sung in the community and will just stay there in the community. And I think with the songs that we know that are the old songs, that's on my, on the bachelor side, on my grandfather's side, we got good you, go, you know, like we got full-length song line for our clan, for Mumblia clan, Mumblia clan clan there now. So, you know, just my half of the clan, we have 280 verses and then that's top-side and then the bottom side Mumblia have another 280 verses. And it runs probably, you know, maybe 830 kilometres from Queensland over to Mataranka. So to, to see both sides of the impact, you know, like um, where it's... Um, Really severely impacted our cultural practice, but also the joy in reclaiming and revitalising what what's been left to us. Because a lot of our old people recorded a lot of stuff on the bachelor side, but then also to be a part of the on the other side of my family up in the Gulf, where um, a lot of that uh, I, I say a lot of it, but not a lot. Not a lot. Like there's an, enough that it's just intact but only just, you know, we're a generation or two from it being gone to have no more ceremony if if things don't change. It's a little bit dire, you know.
0: Yeah. You mentioned some of the work that you've been doing in terms of language revitalization. I know that in the past I've talked to you about um, not just the work that you're doing for your mob but for for other communities as well, through animation, through... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, Do you you want to give us a little update? Where are you at? Yeah. So
3: um, I'm currently the project manager of uh, Woonungo Awara, which is a program at uh, Monash Indigenous Study Centre, and uh, it's working with languages, endangered Aboriginal languages around the country. So we've got a small little crew, a couple of animators, and um, myself and my boss, who work with Aboriginal communities around the country, Aboriginal, Torres Strait Islander communities, Working on uh, 3D animations uh, with, with with narratives from those communities or stories or songs or sections of song, line, song lines and making sure that those stories are. So, so it's a visual, sort of literal interpretation of what's being told in the story. So taking that and then animating it in 3D and then leaving it copyright and in all uh, Indigenous cultural, intellectual property rights, everything's maintained and the copyright is maintained by the communities so that they can do with it whatever they want and use it in whatever way they want to. And most of the time it's being used as a... Like our program is being used by communities that are already got like language revitalization or language preservation programs running and it's just used to bolster what they're already doing to strengthen it and take it to a whole nother level. So old people can watch and hear those stories and see the visuals, um, young people, and not even in, in those um, Indigenous communities, First Nations communities, in, in the wider community as well, teaching you know, non-Indigenous people about just how in-depth our stories are.
0: In your role at Monash, is there anything that... In having worked with communities whose languages are are in such dire straits that you've brought to your own language work as a bachelor song man? Yeah, I
3: think it's like I, I love being able to talk with when I'm talking with mob, I always talk about like best practice models. So like always making sure that what what I hear or see in one community, or learn in one community about a direction, a way of, you know, keeping things going, is um, making sure that if if there's a really great uh, best practice model that's happening in one community, and I could and and I'm able to see, oh, okay, this community needs that sort of support, linking those mobs up so that they they can have a back and forth dialogue themselves around what's working in one community because, you know, I think our communities are so big, you know, we've got over 250 different languages and then however many dialects, three, four different dialects within those groups. So it's so so different but at the same time we're all fighting the one battle. So even though there's always slight, you know, cultural differences in terms of like certain protocols and uh, bits and pieces like that, there's always a way to to navigate that in terms of making sure that if there's a best practice model that works, then the, those communities that are that have certain um, pro- programs that are working, that they're sharing that information across, not so much the information itself about their, you know, their might, might be secret, sacred business stuff, but... The strategies. The strategies and the structures of how they're using these, you know, the, these contemporary tools to make... Uh, a progress within their own communities, yeah. So it's um, yeah, that's really interesting.
0: That's fantastic. Um, when it comes to you know, so Sydney Meyer Fellowship um is a one hundred and sixty thousand dollar grant. It, like, I guess, kind of the awkward question, the blunt question, is what you what you're planning to do with that.
3: I basically using it to help with three projects that I'm working on at the moment. So two in language, one with my cousin Birds. So we've recorded a whole six-track EP. And then one with um, a mate of mine called Sam Pankhurst with a band. Um, we've got a group, him and I, together called Yurinda. So he plays double bass, I sing, and we have like a, a set of songs. We've got a whole new album, actually. We've, we're working on a whole album. It's just been mastered. And so to bring that out, and that's all in butchella language. Um, and um, we worked with a string quartet from the uh, Queensland Symphony Orchestra. And then the, the, the last one is a contemporary soul album, just talking about black deaths in custody. You know, got a nephew, passed away. In custody here in Brisbane, in the Valley, and um, cousin there, uh, Cameron Dummagey, up on Palm. So talking about that sort of stuff, but in a in a totally different format uh, and totally out of my comfort zone. I could sing, but I haven't sung like this, <laughs> like I have. I've sung on hooks and you know choruses <laughs> and stuff. But that that yeah, putting the money towards that work, but also um, being able to take the time now to be able to put together a couple of other projects and to to boost some of the things that I've been doing, well, that I was doing before the pandemic up in Brisbane, like Murray's in the park, like trying to get that back up and going off the ground. And um, it's just, a. we had a community meeting one time about youth suicide a few years back and... Um, we were all talking, mob were talking and saying, oh, we need funding and I was, I was thinking about it and I thought, oh, you know, I mentioned it that day, I just said, oh, what do we... Remember in the 80s, everyone would come down to Musgrave Park and they'd have a little bingo there or a little blue light disco for all the kids or Crawberry shake leg whatever and it cost nobody anything because it was just grassroots. You know, just I, I want to use the money in that way to be able to just... um light up a, a few little spot fires here and there. And to be able to just, it's given me the ability to be able to concentrate on a few of the the more important things, you know, and to, to have a little bit of time to do that, it it helps to have the money there to not have to, you know, stress so much about it.
0: Fred Leone there. He's one of five Indigenous recipients of this year's Sydney Meyer Creative Fellowship alongside Vincent Namajira, Genoa Gila, Alethea Beetson, and Carly Shepard. When Carly learnt the news, she says she danced around her kitchen. A cross-disciplinary artist, dancer, and actor, Carly has spent the past nine years exploring her own voice and practice. I'm going to do one more I knew her when brag and say that I met Carly when we were both training at Naesda Dance College. Carly was in the year above me, and I remember watching her and being awed. There was so much fearlessness and intelligence to her creativity. In the many years since, Carly has continued to shine, and I can't wait to see what this fellowship brings forth. I'm Rudy Bremer, and you're listening to Away, Indigenous Arts and Culture on RN. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond
2: the headlines on the ABC Listen app.